Amen. Would you pray with me, please? Oh, Heavenly Father, thank you so much for sending Jesus Christ. And Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for dying on the cross for our sins and conquering death on Easter morning. You truly are our living hope. We thank you that we don't have to have hope in a dead Savior. We have hope in a Savior who is alive and well. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for what you did for us on that first great weekend that we know is Easter weekend. Thank you for what you did on Good Friday and thank you for what you did on Easter morning when you conquered death. We love you and we praise you and we worship you as our living hope. And it's in your name that we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, before we dive into God's word together, I did want to share with you a few important announcements, a few things going on at Impact Christian Church that we want you to know about. Uh, first of all, next Sunday is a very special Sunday. Uh, two of our newest members at Impact are Caesar and Karen Arango. Uh, Karen is the local director of Prison Fellowship, uh, one of the wonderful ministries that we support as a church. Uh, many of you know them as Angel Tree. And so uh, Karen and uh, Caesar will be sharing the message next Sunday, uh, helping to focus our thoughts on second chances. Around the nation next Sunday, different churches will focus on how God offers us through Christ a second chance at redemption, a second chance uh, to live our lives the way he wants us to. And so we're going to have a focus on uh, the many who are incarcerated in our nation and the many hundreds of thousands who come out of incarceration each year. The church has a unique opportunity to be a blessing and show the grace and mercy of Christ uh, to those who are coming out of incarceration. You may not know this, one in three American adults have a criminal background. And so the church has to be able to stand in the gap and show mercy and grace. So you'll be blessed next week as Karen and Caesar uh, share this wonderful message about second chances. Also coming up in a couple weeks, uh, coming up on Saturday, uh, October, no, say October, uh, Saturday, April, oh, we don't have the date on here, uh, Saturday, April uh, 17th, I believe it is, we are doing our next community cleanup day. If you would like to be a part of that, we'd love for you to call the church or email us and sign up for that. It's a great opportunity between 9 and 11 a.m. to help clean up the neighborhood around Elevato and Mojave Drive in Victorville. If you'd like to be a part of that, please sign up. If you let us know in the next two days, uh, please also give us your shirt size and we'll get you a free t-shirt if you sign up in the next two days. It's coming up uh, two weeks uh, out on the 17th of April. And then finally, want to let you know our mission as a church is such a simple but important mission. God has called us to love, to learn, and to serve as a church family. Uh, many of you are starting to come back uh, to our in-person services, and as we are rebuilding our Sunday morning ministries in person, there are plenty of volunteer opportunities, lots of chances for you to serve. Uh, if you'd like to inquire about serving as a greeter on Sunday mornings or in children's ministry or possibly a serving in our media ministry to help broadcast these services, also in our music ministries. We've got all sorts of opportunities, and we'd love to talk to you about how you can use your gifts and talents in a way that will bless others and also be a blessing to you as you serve Christ. So let us know if you'd like to be a part of that. Thank you so much for all that you do to support the great work of Impact Christian Church 
including those tithes and offerings. So if you are a giver and supporter uh, to Impact, thank you so much. There's three different ways that you can give uh, to support the work of Impact. You can give by simply writing a check and mailing it to our P.O. Box. You can give it anytime online, or you can text to give. Uh, simply text any dollar amount to 84321. Thank you so much for supporting the great work of Impact. And with that, make sure you have your Bibles in hand as we dive into God's Word this morning. Uh, an important message. Once again, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 27 and then a few verses from chapter 28 as well. Matthew is the first book in your New Testament, so I hope you'll have a copy of God's Word right there in your hands so that you can see for yourself right there in your own Bible uh, that great word about Jesus' death and resurrection. Well, some of you haven't had the opportunity to meet the newest member of the Davis family, so allow me here on Easter Sunday to officially introduce you to, ta-da, Murphy. Murphy is the newest member of my family, and Murphy came to us a little over a month ago because Murphy has a specific set of skills. You see, my youngest daughter, some of you may not know, has type 1 diabetes, sometimes called juvenile diabetes. She's been insulin dependent since the age of 5. And one of the dangers with juvenile diabetes is blood sugars crashing in the middle of the night and that child not knowing and the parents not knowing. It could be literally a life or death matter. And so that's one of the things that her mom and I, uh, Christine and I, have been on edge about uh, over these last few years is wondering if her blood sugars might crash in the middle of the night. And so one of my wife's dreams uh, was to have a diabetes alert dog for Kara. Uh, there are specific trainers around the country that will train dogs to be able to smell low and high blood sugars. Well, we inquired about this a year or two ago and discovered that the average diabetes alert dog costs somewhere around $20,000, way too expensive for us. And so we just kind of put the idea on the back burner. But two months ago, one of my wife's Facebook friends, who also happens to be one of the foremost trainers of diabetes alert dogs in the country, had a post. And she had a diabetes alert dog that she had personally trained came back to her because the family didn't want it anymore. And so she was putting it out there on Facebook. Is there a family with a child with type 1 diabetes who would like to have this dog? There were six families that applied for that dog. Guess who got him? <laughs> we got Murphy. And so Murphy came home about five weeks ago. And here's a picture of Murphy and Kara when they first met there just about five weeks ago. And so Murphy sleeps with Kara, is able to alert her in the middle of the night if her blood sugars are going too high or too low. What a blessing God gave us by bringing Murphy to our family. That weekend that we got Murphy, we first saw him on a Saturday morning. The trainer flew out to be with us. She spent the whole weekend training us how to deal with a diabetes alert dog. And that was a weekend that I don't think my family will ever forget. It was a great weekend. And then this morning, we are going to focus on the greatest weekend of all time, the weekend that Jesus died on that cross for our sins and conquered death on Easter morning. I'm calling this message today, Three Days, the Weekend that Changed the World. So we're in Matthew chapter 27. We'll be starting in verse 57. Hopefully you're there in your Bibles. I encourage you to follow along 
as we read from God's word together. As evening approached, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who had himself become a disciple of Jesus. Going to Pilate, he asked for Jesus' body, and Pilate ordered that it be given to him. Joseph took the body, wrapped it in a clean cloth, and he placed it in his own new tomb that he had cut out of the rock. He rolled a big stone in front of the entrance to the tomb and went away. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were sitting there opposite the tomb. The next day, the one after preparation day, the chief priests and the Pharisees went to Pilate. Sir, they said, uh, we remember that while he was still alive, that, that deceiver said, after three days I will rise again. So give the order for the tomb to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise, his disciples may come and, and steal the body and tell the people that he has been raised from the dead. This last deception will be worse than the first. Take a guard, Pilate answered. Go make the tomb as secure as you know how. So they went and made the tomb secure by putting a seal on the stone and posting the guard. After the Sabbath at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He is risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, he has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. May God bless us as we read and, most importantly, apply his word to our lives today. Over the course of my life, I have enjoyed some pretty productive weekends. Weekends that I was able to look back and say to myself, you know what, I feel like I accomplished a lot this weekend. But I've got to tell you, no weekend that I have ever seen myself can possibly compare to this greatest weekend in the history of the world, the weekend that changed the world. So let's take a closer look at that weekend one day at a time. Let's start with Friday. Around midnight on Friday morning, after Jesus had spent several hours toiling in prayer, one of Jesus' twelve disciples, Judas Iscariot, uh, led a, a group of temple guards and, and Pharisees and teachers of the law into the Garden of Gethsemane. And that crowd that was brought by Judas Iscariot, they were carrying torches and clubs and swords. And Judas went up to Jesus and he betrayed him with a kiss. And then those soldiers came around Jesus and they arrested him. And as they arrested Jesus... Jesus' other 11 disciples saw what was going on and, and they hightailed it out of there. They booked it out of that garden because they didn't want to get caught up in getting arrested themselves. All of Jesus' disciples abandoned him. 
And so there he was, and over the next six hours or so, more like eight hours, Jesus was subjected to six different trials and hearings. First, he had to go to the former high priest and then to the current high priest. And then uh, once it was legal to do so, he was brought before the Sanhedrin and then to Pilate and then to Herod and back to Pilate. He went through these six hearings and trials, and we all know that they were a sham. No evidence was found to convict Jesus of anything, let alone convict him of capital crimes that would warrant his crucifixion. But Jesus endured it. He was slapped. He was mocked. He was blindfolded and and beaten with fists. And then Governor Pilate had him flogged, and flesh was literally torn off his back as that cat of nine tails ripped him to shreds. That could have killed him before he ever went to the cross. That weekend wasn't off to a good start for Jesus, as you think about what took place on Friday. But it was off to a great start for you and me. Because as Isaiah the prophet had written 700 years earlier, oh, by his wounds, we are healed. Amen? By his wounds, we are healed. Shortly after 3 p.m. on Friday afternoon, Jesus cried out from the cross, It is finished. And then he lifted up one final prayer, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And then Jesus dropped his head and he died. At that moment, there was a great earthquake in Jerusalem. The veil inside the Jewish temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And as we read together, uh, as we read together, I should say, a few minutes ago in Matthew 27, Joseph of Arimathea uh, took Jesus' body off the cross, wrapped it in clean linen cloths, and placed it in his own tomb in a garden that was close by. And then a large stone was rolled in front of the tomb to block the entrance. That was Friday. And then Saturday came. All four gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, document Jesus' crucifixion on Friday, and and they also document Jesus' resurrection on Sunday. But only Matthew records for us some of what happened on Saturday. And we just read it together a few minutes ago in chapter 27, verses 62 through 66. On Saturday, the Jewish Sabbath day, when the chief priests and Pharisees should have been in their local synagogue worshiping and resting from their work, they were running all over Jerusalem uh, trying to somehow sabotage Jesus' upcoming resurrection. Uh, They were running around town. They decided to go talk to Governor Pilate and ask him to provide soldiers to place in front of that tomb to make sure that the disciples wouldn't come in the middle of the night and the 11 disciples that were left and and try to become grave robbers and steal Jesus' body. They wanted that tombstone sealed so there was no way to move it. It's kind of interesting over the years, I've read this over and over at, at Easter time, And I thought, you know what, probably that seal was like a a wax seal of some sort that they put on the stone that, you know, if the seal was kind of a jar, they would know that the stone was rolled or maybe it was a ribbon they draped across that stone to, so if you rolled the stone, it would rip the ribbon. And I just kind of assumed that was the seal, but I was reading some of the study notes of Pastor Chuck Smith from Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, and he has an interesting perspective on that seal. Uh, You see, he pointed out that in Jesus' day, they used mortar in construction. So when Pilate says what he says here, seal the tomb as best you know how, 
Take a guard, go make the tomb as secure as you know. When he says that, Chuck Smith believes that those Jewish leaders took Pilate seriously. And the best way they knew of to seal that stone so that no one could roll it away would be to slap that bad boy with mortar all the way around the stone. And so they would literally cement that thing to the rock face. So the only way that stone was going to move is if you had a team with jackhammers to get that mortar out of there. I think that may be exactly what happened. They sealed this thing tight and there was no way that anyone was going to be able to break into that tomb. By the way, when it says that soldiers were placed there, uh, it was in all likelihood several dozen soldiers, probably not two. Most likely there were dozens of them armed with swords, maybe spears in front of the tomb, plenty of soldiers to handle 11 disciples that might decide to become grave robbers. Well, that's pretty interesting. That was going on on this second day. It was a very strange second day and a, a very odd weekend. Things still looked pretty bleak for Jesus and for us. After all, what good is a dead Savior? It was Saturday, but Sunday was a coming. Well, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all mention that several ladies went to the tomb early on Sunday morning. Mary Magdalene was at the head of the pack, but there were also several others, including Mary, the mother of Mark. Mark and Luke tell us that the women went to the tomb in order to anoint Jesus' body with spices. That was a sign of respect for the dead in those days. And so they go to the tomb, and evidently the ladies had been in synagogue the prior day and hadn't gotten the memo that that tombstone had been sealed shut, and there were dozens of guards out front. They didn't know about that because they go oblivious to that, to the tomb, thinking someone can roll the stone away and they can anoint Jesus' body. But the fact that guards had been posted and that stone had been sealed in place was rather irrelevant by the time they actually got there. Because by the time they got there, the angel had already rolled the stone away and Jesus was no longer in the grave. And we read there in those verses that we looked at earlier in Matthew 27 and then particularly in Matthew 28... Matthew 28, look again at verses 3 and 4. It says that Jesus' appear, excuse me, the angel's appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. In other words, these guards were scared to death when that angel showed up. There they were, minding their own business, just guarding the tomb, and all of a sudden the ground begins to shake and the tomb begins to shake. The mortar begins to rattle and crack. <laughs> and then that angel comes, rolls the stone away, and they are scared to death. They were so scared, they were frozen in place and couldn't move. But after a few minutes, evidently they could move because by the time the ladies make it to the tomb, those soldiers are long gone. They bolted. And they couldn't get away from that tomb fast enough when they had enough energy and wherewithal to start running away from that angel that scared them to death. And so those women arrive, the angel is still sitting on that tombstone, no soldiers in sight, and they're scared, they're bewildered, they don't know what's going on here. And I want you to notice that when the angel rolled that stone away, the angel didn't roll the stone away so that Jesus could come out of the tomb. Jesus didn't know, it wasn't like Jesus was in that tomb pounding on the inside walls, help, let me out of here, let me out of here. No, Jesus left before the angel showed up. 
The angel rolled the stone away, not so that Jesus could leave the tomb, but so that the ladies could enter the tomb and see the evidence that Jesus was, in fact, alive. The angel comes to them and says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Remember, that's the most repeated command of God in the pages of the Bible. Don't be afraid. So I believe that's something God wants to say to you today. If you are a believer and follower of Jesus Christ, you are loving the Lord and you are serving the Lord and you are obeying his commands. And Jesus says, do not be afraid. Keep doing what you're doing. Keep trusting me. Keep loving me. Keep obeying my commands. Keep doing what you're doing. Don't be afraid. There's nothing to fear when you're following in my footsteps. The angel tells them, don't be afraid. And then invited the women in to step inside the tomb and see for themselves that Jesus wasn't there. And then the angel instructed them to share the good news with Jesus' disciples. The angel's message really boils down to this. Come and see and then go and tell. That's the simple message the angel gives those ladies. Come and see with your own eyes that Jesus is not here and then go and tell others. You know, every Easter, millions of Christians around America gather for Easter services. It's the highest attendance Sunday of the year, most likely even the highest attendance Sunday of this year during COVID. And so millions of Christians come together, men and women and teenagers and kids, and they come and see and they come and hear the good news that Jesus Christ has conquered death. And then they leave the church building and don't tell anybody about it. Oh, we can't just carry out the first half of this. The angel, instructed, I believe, by God himself, tells them to come and see. But don't miss the second part. Then you go and tell. Oh, Jesus wants you to experience today to see for yourself and to hear with your own ears that Jesus Christ is alive and he is Lord and Savior. But he doesn't want you to keep it to yourself. Go and tell others about it. In the days uh, leading up to this Easter service, I have really wanted to tell you the story of the weekend that Murphy came and joined our family. I was looking forward to sharing this with you and I'm so glad I got to share it with you today. And I just want to tell people about Murphy because it's an exciting answer to prayer. It's an exciting miracle in our family. I want to tell people about it. So why on earth do we not tell people about something that's much, much greater? The death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We've just got to tell people it is such good news. It's the greatest weekend in the history of the world. This weekend, not only did Jesus die for you, But more importantly, he conquered death for you. Not only did he die for you, he came back to life for you. What a wonderful blessing that is. Well, I'd like to share with you five reasons why that first Easter weekend, that first resurrection weekend was the weekend that changed the world. I want to share with you five reasons why Jesus' death and resurrection changes your world how it changes your world. Number one, Jesus' death and resurrection confirm that the Bible is true. Amen? 
confirms that the Bible is true. There are dozens of Old Testament verses that prophesy that Jesus Christ would suffer and be killed and be buried and rose and rise again from the dead. Uh, for example, concerning Jesus' crucifixion, look at what King David wrote in Psalm 22, verses 16 through 18. A band of evil men has encircled me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them and cast lots for my clothing. That just blows me away. They pierced my hands and feet. He writes this a thousand years before Jesus was born. He writes this hundreds of years before crucifixion had ever been invented, which was one of the few ways that hands and feet were pierced to bring about someone's suffering and death. How about this next verse here that uh, comes from Isaiah, written some 700 years before Jesus was born, about his burial and resurrection. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. After the suffering of his soul, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. And how about this other psalm, once again written about a thousand years before Jesus was born, about Jesus' burial and resurrection. From Psalm 16, verse 10, You will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. Well, there's just a few quick examples of those marvelous prophetic scriptures from the Old Testament written hundreds of years before Jesus' birth that in detail spell out what would happen when Jesus would die, be buried, and be risen again. Every one of these prophecies, 100% accurate, 100% of the time. Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection proved to you that even the seemingly impossible Bible prophecies are all fulfilled in Jesus Christ. That's the first reason why Jesus' death and resurrection uh, should prove to you that he is alive and well. We have that proof from those fulfilled scriptures. What about number two? Jesus' death and resurrection uh, prove to you that Jesus is God. Jesus is God. Look at John 10, verse 18. It says, No one takes my life from me, but I lay down my life of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. Jesus spoke those words. Now think about it. Uh, many martyrs would claim to have authority and power to lay down their own lives as a martyr for somebody else. You know, most of us could make that claim. Hey, I have the ability to lay down my life. But who can say they have the authority to take it back up again? No human being can say that. The angels can't even say that. Only God himself has the power and authority to raise himself from the dead. Oh, evidence that Jesus is God. In the flesh. Number three, Jesus' death and resurrection pave the way for your own future resurrection, giving you great hope. Look at what it says in 1 Thessalonians 4 13 through 16. It says, We do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. We believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. 
Because Jesus rose from the dead, he blazed a trail for you and me to rise from the dead as well. How about 1 Corinthians 15, starting in verse 14? If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all men. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. Amen? The bottom line is this. Jesus' resurrection from the dead blazed a trail for your resurrection from the dead. Jesus has paved the way for you to live forever. So whenever you're uh, sitting next to a loved one's bedside in in ICU, whenever you're attending a, a friend or loved one's funeral, there is hope because of that first Easter morning. There is hope for that person who is dying. There is hope for that person who has already passed because of what Jesus Christ did on the greatest weekend in the history of the world. Well, look at number four here. Jesus' death and resurrection prove that your judgment day is coming. I need to be honest with you today. The fact that Jesus conquered death is not good news for everyone because we will be held to an account for the life that we lived here on earth because our Lord and Savior is alive today. If he were still dead, there wouldn't be a judgment after this life. But because he is alive There is a judgment. Look at what it says in Acts 17. In the past, God overlooked ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to all men by raising him from the dead. Bottom line, Jesus' resurrection is great news for those who follow Christ. But it is sad news for those who, who don't. Because Jesus is alive, he will hold us accountable for our sin. That's the purpose of Judgment Day, to declare our innocence or our guilt before our holy God. If we reject Jesus Christ and his mercy and grace and forgiveness during this life, if we reject him before we die, then we will have hell to pay. But if we embrace him, accept him, and start following him as our Savior and Lord, oh, that judgment day will be a day of reward, and it will be a wonderful, wonderful thing. Finally, number five, Jesus' death and resurrection empower you to live a life that pleases God. Isn't that good news? His resurrection empowers you to live a life that pleases God. What do you think the chances are of you being able to live a life that pleases God without his help? Slim to none, maybe? Well, I'm here to tell you the chances of living a life that pleases God on your own, it's not slim to none. It's just plain none. (laughs) There is no chance that you can live a life that pleases God without Christ's help. You can't do it. I can't do it. None of us can do it. But when Jesus Christ comes in and helps us do it, oh, things all of a sudden change. You see, nothing is impossible with Jesus Christ. And so he makes the impossible possible when he comes into our lives. So God has put you here on this earth and expects you to live a life that pleases him. And the only way to do that 
is but by the grace of God through Jesus Christ. Well, it was hands down the greatest weekend in history. It was the weekend that literally changed the world. And I've just got to ask you, what are you going to do about it? It was the weekend that changed the world. What are you going to do about it? Say, yippee, yippee, that's nice. Now, what's for lunch? I hope not. Because it was the weekend that changed the world, I hope that you will embrace that truth and live a life that honors that truth and share that truth with others around you. Think about it. Jesus Christ suffered and died for you. Uh, Jesus hung out for a while in that dark, lonely tomb for you. And Jesus blasted through the walls of that tomb on Easter morning. He conquered death for you. He did it for you because he loves you. What are you going to do about it? Well, if you've never made the decision to accept Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, if you've never made the decision to get right with God, let me first share with you the ABCs of getting right with God. A. Admit that you are a sinner and that you need the Savior. You don't need a Savior. You need the Savior. B, believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins. And then C, choose to follow Jesus as your Savior and Lord. The simple ABCs of getting right with God. Are you at a point, if you've never made this decision before, where you're ready to do that? Admit that you need him. Believe that he died for you on that cross on Good Friday. And choose to follow him, not just as your Savior to give you fire insurance from hell, but to choose him as your Lord as well, the master of your life, the one who is in the driver's seat of your life. Have you come to the point where you're ready to make that decision? A story is told of an African Muslim man who converted to Christianity, he chose to accept Jesus Christ as his Savior and Lord. And because it was a predominantly Muslim community, his friends thought that was a little strange. And so his friends came up to him and they asked him, why did you accept Christ? Why did, why did you choose to follow Jesus Christ? And he thought about it for a second and he said, well, it, it's kind of like this. Imagine you're going down a road and all of a sudden there's a fork in the road. And at the fork in the road, you don't know which way to go. And at one side of the fork is a man who is dead. And at the other fork, a man who is alive. Which of the two men are you going to ask which way to go? It's a great way to describe Jesus Christ. You and I both know that Buddha is dead. He can't show you the way to God. You and I both know that Muhammad is dead. He can't show you the way to God. We know that Joseph Smith, the founder of Mormonism, and Mary Baker Eddy, the founder of Christian Science, and Charles Taze Russell, the founder of the Watchtower Organization, and L. Ron Hubbard, the, the, the founder of John Travolta's favorite church, Scientology, they're all dead. They can't show us the way to God. Jesus Christ alone is alive He is not only the one that can point to God, he is God in the flesh. He is the way to God. He is the truth and he is the life. Jesus Christ can forgive you and he can show you the way to God because he 
himself is God and he is alive. I want to leave you with this final thought. You have come and your heart has seen the truth. Receive him and do what the women did on that very first Easter. Go and tell others about him. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus. And Lord Jesus, thank you for what you did for us on that cross. You are a glorious Savior. I can't imagine how excruciating that pain was that you went through on that cross. I can't imagine knowing that you had the power to snap your fingers and come off that cross and snap your fingers and wipe out every enemy that was laughing at you and spitting at you and, 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 and hurting you. You stood there and you took it because you loved us so much. But you loved us too much to stay dead. Thank you, Lord Jesus. And I pray if there's anyone here that has never accepted you as Lord and Savior, that they would make that decision right now to admit that they are a sinner, to believe that you died on the cross for them and choose to follow you from this point forward. And for those of us, Lord, that have maybe been backsliding a bit, remind us today of that great weekend, the greatest weekend in the history of the world. And may we take that weekend with us everywhere we go for the rest of our lives. Lord Jesus, we want you to be at the center of our lives. Help us to follow you well, to trust you, to love you, to obey your commands. And may we not be shy about telling others about the good news of this great weekend when you died and rose again. Lord Jesus, help us to share this with others boldly because they need to hear it too. And it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Amen. If you need prayer today, if you need to make a decision to accept Christ today or rededicate your life to him today, the names and phone numbers of two of our prayer counselors are at the bottom of your screen. You can call or text them anytime in the next few minutes. I encourage you to boldly reach out to one of them. Let them pray for you. Let them minister to you today. Let them talk with you about getting right with God if you need to do that. We're here for you. Reach out, church, and let us know if we can be a blessing to you. And as we go into our communion time to close the service, we've got one final song that I'm just so thankful that uh, we get to share with you today. It's a song called This I Believe, My Testimony. It's a great song about who Jesus is and what the Bible teaches us about him. And for those of you, before we sing that song, that would like to take communion with us, I encourage you to have the bread and the juice with you. As most of you know, the bread reminds us of Jesus' body that was broken for us on the cross. It's just a symbol. It symbolizes his body broken. And Jesus says, when you take this symbol, I want you to do it in remembrance of me proclaiming my death and resurrection to those that you meet. Let's take of the bread. Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, Jesus took the juice or the wine and said, this represents my blood poured out for you for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in remembrance of me. Lord Jesus, 
Please wash us clean. I pray that none of us have taken this communion in an unworthy manner. Please wash us clean. Give us a fresh start this week and help us to trust you, to love you and obey you better than ever because you deserve it. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we do have this one final song of the service. It's been such a blessing to be able to be with you this morning uh, online for this wonderful Easter worship celebration. Uh, I hope that the rest of your Easter day is a huge blessing. Don't miss this opportunity you have today to spread the word. Maybe that includes just sharing this broadcast with others. They can watch it anytime today or in the days to come. You can find it on YouTube, on Facebook, and you can find it at our church website. We'd love for you to share this message with others. Jesus is risen. He is risen indeed. Let's sing about Jesus Christ with this final song. God bless you.